Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Pawati. Later in the show, I'll chat with Robert Doyle, president and owner of Canyon Records. On the phone with me is Tacey Etsidi, director of the Navajo Film Festival, which seeks to provide filmmakers with an opportunity to create films that promote the Navajo language. The best films get selected for a public screening. Welcome to our show, Tacey. Hi, Lanasha. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'll start off by introducing myself in um, Navajo. So, <clears throat> my name is um, Tacey Atsuri. My Navajo name is Sani Erlene, means like she who is like old women. And it's my third name, it's my adult name from throughout my life, so I'll get one more name later on. And um, I'm Sleep Rock People, born for the Tangle People, and I saw on the website that we are related. Is that right? You, you're, you're not really your chase. Yes. It's kind of funny, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and my, um, my Che is Water Edge People, my mother's, my mother's father, my father's father's Yucca Fruit, strung out in a line clan, and this is how I'm a Dinne, a Navajo woman. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. So that's a little bit about me and my clan. Um, I grew up, I was born in Logan, Utah. Um, my dad was a student there at Utah State University. He studied physical education, and he was a, a Navajo language teacher, actually, in uh, Kirtland, New Mexico, at the middle school and the high school, and also uh, adjuncted at San Juan College for a little while. And um, and I'll just start off here, if that's okay. Like, I, you know, I'm talking a little bit about him. He was a part of the um, Indian Student Placement Program with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This program started like in the late 40s and the early 50s where uh, not only Navajo children but other students from different tribes of their children were living with families of this faith, of our faith, because I am a member of this church, and went to get a better education. And so my dad spoke only Denebazad uh, until he started living with families in Utah. And um, during this time... You know, he went through a lot of, like, cultural uh, assimilation, obviously language assimilation. He didn't know English, and so he had to learn English. And one of the difficult things for him, he shared while he was on the placement program and then would come home in the summers with his family to Cove, that's where he's originally from, and that's where I say I'm originally from, is um, <clears throat> that language, like, kind of being dipped back and forth between English and and um, Dinebizad. And so he he felt like he had never like really grasped the English language very well and, and also not the Navajo language very well either. And so he said, my children will only speak Navajo. <laughs> and <clears throat> I mean, sorry, English, <laughs> English. My, my children will only speak English um, because he thought that that would help us in the long run. Um, in terms of like Western success and the, you know, kind of the ideologies that he had been learning. Um, 
So that, that's kind of my introduction in terms of language. Um, I'm not a fluent Navajo speaker. I read and write fluently um, in Navajo. I went to Navajo Prep, and that's where I learned to read and write um, from Lorraine Matnaby. She's a wonderful professor. Um, she taught at Navajo Prep for many years and is now teaching at San Juan College, and she's actually on our board for the Navajo Film Festival. So anyway, that's a little bit about me, and I kind of just jumped right into the, the festival. But I'll let you go ahead and ask more questions. Oh, no worries. Thank you for that introduction and telling us more about your background. Uh, but to get started, can you tell us more about what the Navajo Film Festival is? I'll tell you a little bit about its inception. A friend of mine, um, his name is Mike, Michael Lewis. He, he actually works for um, the Navajo Nation um, office in Washington, D.C. Uh, he's got a law degree and I think he's doing like lobbying work on behalf of our nation right now. Um, he's non-native but he has um, a great love for language languages and so we were talking and and he you know shared this idea of having different language festivals uh, film festivals in different languages um, but Mike and I were talking and he was telling me about some of his ideas in terms of how certain ideas only exist within certain languages or are only articulated within certain languages. And when we start losing or decimating languages, we ultimately lose those ideas and these alternate or other ways of thinking. We started to collaborate, and it was just, it's a very grassroots film festival. It was just the two of us. We, you know, reached out to some friends, and we established our, our board, um, our board members. And <clears throat> our Navajo consultant, who I mentioned earlier, is Lorraine Matnaby, who teaches Navajo at um, San Juan College. And she's also one of the co creators for the um the Nebizad on Rosetta Stone um so yeah so we just kind of established this you know very um informal but organization um and so Mike and I we you know Navajo Prep we reached out to Navajo Prep the first year and <clears throat> Betty OJ um she was very accommodating and wanted to host the Navajo Film Festival there our first year so we did that and it was it was great we had people come from like as far as Phoenix and um, from Salt Lake City Utah um, <clears throat> and it was you know very grassroots we made popcorn ourselves and kind of stuffed them in the bags ourselves and I mean thinking about it now I'm like ah COVID <laughs> this was like pre-COVID this was in 2018 um, <clears throat> but yeah so it was nice. Um, so anyway, yeah, the Navajo Film Festival, just a little bit more about, that was our inception, how we kind of started out. Um, but the festival itself is open to everyone, um, anyone, any age, any gender, <clears throat> any ethnicity, um, so long as the films meet our minimum criteria, which is they do not exceed four minutes. And they are completely in Denebizad. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about the festival. Oh, wow, that is awesome. And I really like the idea of watching films that are entirely in Navajo. Um, but what kinds of Navajo films do you guys represent now? Yeah, so we we kind of have like this nice array. And that's, that's kind of what we were shooting for. We wanted to create this cache of films that are um, explore different diction uh, because, you know, when you're trying to learn languages, right, you learn, hello, how are you, like, just, it's just very, like, rote, and it's like, okay, well, I can't get past this, or, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, and so what's nice about these films that, um, that we're receiving from people are that they kind of, they're just, they're, they're just all across, all across the board. We've had, um, this cute um, film about a dog and the dog was narrating in Denebazan saying, you know, this is what I do every day. And it was really cute. Um, <clears throat> we've had um, films that are animated. Um, we have the Silly Billy series. Um, that's, that's a really cute animation that, emphasizes learning the language um we get you know people who are interested in learning some we've in the past few years we've only had one youth submission um and that's what you know that's who we're trying to target right now um just because <clears throat> there's a lot i feel like there's a lot of creativity within our people um especially within our youth and you know, we're just trying to give them opportunities to help develop their creativity, to, to develop their talents. And also with within film, but also within language. Um, what I love, what we love about this festival is, you know, when people are working with the language, um, more often than not, they need to... Um, go to someone who speaks fluently, right? And so to have to interact with, um, like having this multi-generational interaction is really nice, you know? <clears throat> and so we had a, a cute movie about a young woman who, you know, she would wake up, she woke up in the bed one morning and she was learning Navajo from her grandma. So it was kind of this like art poetica, I don't know what the term is, like art film or something, but it was about learning Navajo. Um, and she was, you know, being kind of chastened a little bit by her, her grandma, or what seem, what is seemingly chastened, you know, it's really cute. She's learning the word ashin, and so you, you walk away from the film like the girl is saying ashin, ashin, ashin. Anyway, so it's, it was really cute because everyone walked away from the film saying ashin. <laughs> Even one of my friends who um, was volunteering one year that year. She's Tongan. Um, her mother and father are from the islands of Tonga. And so she walked, and so that's like her, you know, when her one Navajo word that she knows is, whenever she sees this, but anyway, yeah. 
I hope I answered your question. Yes, no, that is a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And it is really relatable. I like how you mentioned some of the films because I feel like a lot of people could relate to that as well because I learned Navajo from my great-grandma as well. Um, which there was a story behind why she taught me Navajo was because I started on the reservation school when I was in kindergarten and I didn't know Navajo and the kids were calling me Belagana Yaje. So I went home and told my grandma, I was like, oh, they're all calling me this. And turns out they were calling me little white girl because I didn't know Navajo. So it was like at that point, my grandma was like, okay, we're going to teach you Navajo. So that's when she started to teach me Navajo. Rolled up her sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. So I really like the story behind that film. Where can we see the films? Is there an area that we can see all the films that were submitted for the film festival? Yeah. So if you go to NavajoFilmFestival.org, um, on the top bar, so you'll see sample videos, and there you will find <clears throat> about probably like four or five yeah we have about four or five um that are listed where you can watch them so yeah so on our website at navajofilmfestival.org you can find some um some of the videos here just because the filmmakers have to give their permission um for us to post before we post them um but yeah there's there's some sample videos there and then also look into different film festivals where um they're also screened Oh, that's great. That is a great um, opportunity for people to look at the sample videos to get ideas so they could submit their videos. And I know you mentioned that um, individuals of all ages could submit submit films. But what do you enjoy most about working in the film industry? Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm kind of like this on on the periphery like i'm i'm definitely in the arts i'm a poet um and i just i love being able to like you said create these opportunities for our youth create opportunities for people to um to make the films and to have um something creative to create and so in terms of like me being in the film industry i'm i'm not like totally immersed in the film industry um, but yeah, what I enjoy most about working in the film industry is, um, is learning, right? Cause I'm not completely immersed in the film industry. I'm a poet, but, um, I love, I love seeing the success of others. Um, you know, there's a lot of really great native filmmakers who, you know, have been emerging over the years. There's, you know, Chris Ayer and, um, uh, Dene Navajo, um, Sydney Freeland, who's doing lots of really great work, and um, Sterling Harjo out in Oklahoma, and lots of emerging, you know, um, filmmakers. Black Horse Low, we screened one of his short films at, at the at the first Navajo Film Festival called um, Shema, or Shema, was it Shema, Shema Yeje, Shema Center. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, it, you know, I just, I love being able to see um, success of our people. I love being able to help them gain um, skills and talents. One of the things that we did last year um, 
with the Navajo Film Festival is we hired um, Sahar Kahajanori. She was also she's also been one of our judges. Um, she's in in the film industry, and um, she did a, a small workshop for the youth in Shiprock area. And it was really sad because it happened literally like on the cusp of everything closing down for uh, for COVID. It was like the second week of March or something. That's when like everything was like, okay, everything is closing. And it was literally that weekend. So we didn't get like a really good turnout just because, you know, that was happening. But we look forward to um, creating more workshops and things like that for students to be able to develop talents and to even just kind of get their toes wet and see if it's something that they're interested in. Oh, yes. And how long has the festival been going on and how has it grown? Yeah, so our first year we had it in 2018. Um, We had about, I think, just under 100 people come out in person and And it's it's been pretty consistent about that number in terms of um, attendance, but in terms of film, we're also pretty consistent. We get about eight max every year. Um, because we are grassroots, we're not yet like a 501c3 organization, um, but we're hoping to continue to grow um, little by little. We are, you know, we speak with the community and try and figure out what it is that they um, are wanting and just kind of taking our time, you know, making sure that we have a foundation that's um, strong so that we can continue to grow. Um, This past year, so we canceled the Navajo Film Festival in 2020 uh, because of the pandemic and it was, we had been planning it for in-person um, and then this past year we had it online, um, and I think it was nice for, you know, people to call in via Zoom and, you know, to participate in it, um, but I will say it was definitely not the same <laughs> than in person, and so we are um, planning for an in-person festival next year, and we have been hosting, we have been hosted by the Field Performing Arts Center at Shiprock High School in Shiprock, New Mexico for the past couple of years. So that's, I think that's kind of the home that we're seeing right now. Okay. That sounds like a good, uh, something to look forward to next year is the next um, festival that you guys will be hosting. But Tacey, what advice would you give to the youth interested in pursuing a career in film? Yeah, I think um, make sure to like look out for any opportunities that you might see. You can ask your teachers or your um, advisors for any opportunities. Also, don't be afraid to, you know, ask permission of your parents. You can just take their phone. Usually like iPhones have the iMovies on it and you can make an entire film on the iPhone. Um, I did it two years ago just to kind of showcase and tell people like hey we're looking for films from everybody like it doesn't matter you don't have to have a nice nice camera anything like that um so just use what you have you know and um don't be afraid to 
just try things and don't be afraid to fail. Um, you know, lots of us who have been working hard at our crafts, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, what we create isn't all that great, but that's okay because we just practice and we get better as time goes on. And how can someone find out more information more information about getting involved with the Navajo Film Festival or how can someone contact you if they have further questions? Yeah, so we have our website, which is NavajoFilmFestival.org. And um, that's pretty much kept up to date. We also have a Facebook page and um, our email uh, to get in touch with me or Michael Lewis is NavajoFilmFestival at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, so we, we encourage and invite everyone to, you know, um, create a film, just, you know, four minutes tops and totally into Nebuzad and, um, and submit it. You know, there's, especially the youth, if you have um, children or nieces or nephews who are looking for something to do over Christmas break, especially, um, you know, that's, that's something or spring break. Um, those are really good times to do some hands-on activity with them. And um, they can submit because, I mean, there's prize money every year that is not taken because we don't have enough youth um, who are submitting. So, yeah, so NavajoFilmFestival.org or NavajoFilmFestival at gmail.com. And we welcome any questions. We'd love to see um, anyone's work um, and hope that you guys submit I would like to thank you, Tacey, for taking time out to talk to us today to tell us more about the Navajo Film Festival. Yeah, no problem. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Support for Radio Phoenix comes in part from Native Health, located at 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road in Phoenix, and located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern Avenue and Extension Road. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC and wellness services for the urban Native American community. COVID vaccinations and testings are available at our Phoenix and Mesa locations. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Coming up next, I'll chat with Robert Doyle, president and owner of Canyon Records. Native Talk Arizona returns after this break. 
Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Pwadi. Robert Doyle is the president and owner of Canyon Records of Phoenix, Arizona, producer and distributor of Native American music, and is one of the oldest independent record labels in the music industry, as well as one of the oldest cultural institutions in the state of Arizona. Welcome to our show, Robert. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I have been working at Canyon Records for 40 years. I have earned I earned a degree in music as my undergraduate and a graduate degree in business, uh, which fit together nicely running a record label. And I have owned Canyon Records for not quite 30 years. And we're celebrating, the company will celebrate its 70th anniversary this November. Oh, wow, that is awesome. And to get started, can you tell us what is Canyon Records? Well, Canyon Records has specialized in Native American music since 1951 and was founded by a couple, Ray and Mary Bully who had come from the Pittsburgh area in the 40s after World War II and liked the look of Phoenix and settled in Phoenix, where they opened uh, one of the first recording studios in western United States um, in 1948 at the southwest corner of 7th Avenue and Roosevelt. Uh, they got involved in Native American music when Ray was asked to record for Phoenix Little Theater a Navajo singer named Ed Lee Nate. Uh, Ray and Mary were taken by Ed's voice. Uh, he had a very beautiful voice and decided, um, let's release his music. The world deserved to hear this amazing singer. So they recorded uh, eight more songs. They recorded a total of eight songs and put him out on 78 and 45 in, in 1951 and had never really been involved in Native American music at all. They were reacting solely to the art, artistry of Ed Lee Nate. So to promote the album, they took a booth at the 1951 Arizona State Fair now, if you can imagine how big Phoenix was in 1951, I believe the north end of Phoenix's boundaries was Bethany Home Road. That's how small it was. And it was all uh, citrus groves between Phoenix and Scottsdale, and Mesa was a small mining, not mining, farming town out there in the East Valley, and Tempe was this cluster of of residential areas around um, what was then a fairly small school, which later became Arizona State University. Um, at the 51 State Fair, they really didn't get much attention from most people there, except for the Native American community. And back in 1951, going to the State Fair was a fairly important social event for a lot of natives from around the state. And they were excited to see a native artist on a commercially released album. 
and the Bowleys were able to sell a few copies of their LPs um, to primarily Native people. Uh, a Hopi jeweler at a booth next to them said, well, why don't you do some Hopi music? And this stayed with Ray and Mary, um, who would go on to contact Native communities throughout Arizona, throughout the Western United States, and begin to very slowly collect, record and collect music for sale primarily back to the Native American market. Uh, for Native Americans, most of them, it was a revelation to see their music on a commercial release. Um, the other part to remember is that back in the early 50s and middle 50s, a lot of reservations lacked electricity and running water. So people would have to listen to these records on wind-up record players and, and things like that. The same year that the Bullies established Canyon Records in 1951, they also established the first film business in Arizona called Canyon Films. They made primarily commercials and documentaries, and that was their main business, but they continued to run Canyon Records as a subsidiary. Uh, Mary Bowley was very critical for keeping Canyon Records operating. She ran the books. She was the chief administrator, and she was one of the very few women in the 50s who was producing and engineering albums. So not only were they on the forefront of presenting cultural materials to the world, uh, Mary Bowley was on the forefront of women finding a place in the music industry. So that's the, that's the beginning decade of, of Canyon Records. It was very much a small operation, very much a lot of personal outreach to the Native communities, and they never made a whole lot of money, but they were very dedicated to the whole idea of presenting cultural uh, recordings for not just the Native community to enjoy, but getting the message out to the bigger world as well. And where is Canyon Records today? Um, what type of artists do you currently represent? Well, our catalog is um, centered around a few styles of music. Our, our most popular style of music is Native American flute music because it's it's the kind of Native music that non-Natives have found very, very appealing for the past of oh, 35 years. Uh, the soothing, uh, haunting sound of the flute has crossed over into non-Native, the much bigger populations of non-Native people. And uh, for, for most Americans, uh, Native American music is flute music. We also are, have had a lot of presence in powwow music, working with artists like uh, Northern Cree, Young Spirit, Black Lodge, uh, Native American church music with artists like uh, Lou Ghani. Um, done all kinds of traditional music, uh, such as traditional Navajo st style music with people like Todanishi singers, and have done uh, Wyla which is also known as Chicken Scratch with um, people like the Joaquin Brothers and Southern Scratch. So we have this presence in the more 
traditional side of native music. We have not done things like uh, rock. We we did a few albums, you know, native rock groups. Um, native rap has uh, we have not been there. Um, those kinds of more contemporary styles of music. Uh, we simply haven't done in the past 20 years. So some of the people, artists we work with, aside from the people I've mentioned, would be like R. Carlos Nakai, uh, Tony Duncan, Aaron White, uh, a lot of Arizona-based Native artists who have been uh, very important to our success and with whom we've had very long-term relationships, sometimes stretching back 30, 35 years, and in some cases stretching back two and even three generations. And how do you find new emerging talent? Well, in in the past, we, um, you know, to be honest, we were, um, we artists would come to us and, and submit things to us. And we would develop these long-term relationships and, you know, the artist would want to release a new album, we'd say yes. And after a while, we couldn't really take on too many new artists simply because we didn't have the production capacity. So we we didn't really even look. Um, it was more our, our stable of artists and then occasionally hearing of somebody new that we wanted to work with. So it wasn't as if somebody could send something in and we were able to take that on as production. We simply just weren't big enough to handle all the demand uh, from the Native community to be representative on a, a record label. And which is your top-selling CD or download? Our top-selling album is called Canyon Trilogy by R. Carlos Nakai. Uh, it has been our top seller and indeed the top selling Native American music album for the past 35 years. Uh, it, it, we have sold over 1.1 million CDs and cassettes of it, which qualifies it as a platinum record. And it is maybe the only platinum record ever earned by an independent label of our size and it continues to be our number one downloaded and streamed album. So Canyon Trilogy by Nakai um, continues to be very, very popular. Robert, do you notice any trends? Are people still purchasing CDs or is it just downloads and streaming? Well, the trends in the marketplace, the whole marketplace, and, and we follow that, is streaming is now the dominant way people are listening to music. Uh, downloads have begun to diminish as people are choosing not to buy the music. Um, and CDs are slowly, slowly diminishing, though they, they did go up a little bit uh, this year. But it is a fading format, uh, very much related to people who are not connected to the Internet or are of an older generation that likes to own their music. Uh, the one format that is, to my amazement, continues to grow are LP records. Uh, people are enjoying owning LP records and uh, 
whatever the audio quality of an LP record, it, they don't seem to mind it. But streaming is definitely by far the most dominant way people listen to music. And what age groups do you see uh, people more going to like LPs or streaming? I Everybody's going to streaming. Uh, we, we saw the trend um, at least five years ago where it was um, people in their 70s would approach us in a sales booth, listen to some music and say, oh, I'll get it online. So it's so easy to stream these days that, um, you know, and phones are, have such high quality connections that it's the fastest way to get your music and not have to worry about storing anything. And if you lose interest in something, you know, you, you don't have a CD that you never listen to again. So it's definitely the dominant form. Uh, people who are more into collecting, uh, into the whole experience of sitting in front of a speaker system and uh, taking time to listen to music, LPs seem to be the way to go. Uh, the other advantage to streaming is you can do it in your car. You don't need to have a, a, a set of CDs that you carry with you. And most cars are connected to Android or iTunes, and it's a very, very simple process of getting practically anything you want very, very simply through your car. So people tend to listen to the music um, in the way that is most convenient for them, and streaming is definitely what's hot now, and I believe it's not going to change anytime soon. And streaming is um, the most popular. How does streaming affect le record labels? Well, it, that's a very, very, very good question. The music industry is finally recovering from its collapse about 15 years ago uh, when people began to pirate music and the piracy couldn't be stopped. This was in the early 2000s, middle 2000s, through you know, um, operations like Napster or various pirate sites. People were just simply not paying paying for music. And this was primarily the younger demographic. The store system that we had, had served us so well for years collapsed in 2007, 2008. Some of the big chains that we relied on, like Tower Records and Musicland, just went bankrupt, shut their doors. And um, for a long time, the music industry just lost 50% of its overall revenues. And it's taken about 15 years for that to return. So you might see an article of the music industry, revenues are up this year and um, big companies are, are being bought out. But that's, you know, we're barely getting back to where we were before. Um, so piracy was the thing that essentially destroyed the music industry. And people like me, um, you know, small independent companies like me, were either too stubborn or, too, frankly, too stupid to quit. We just toughed it out and kept going. 
Uh, streaming has been, at first, the record industry was not comfortable with the idea of streaming. That is, somebody pays $10 a month and then gets to listen to whatever they want to listen to. And there's been long fights over how to divide up that money, how to pay the publishers, the songwriters, the performers. Um, but the upside has been that people have gotten used to the idea of paying $10, $12 a month to get their music. It's not very much money. And they've seen the benefit of having access to anything they could possibly want. And um, so values within the music industry, at least for the very big companies, have gone up quite a bit over the past few years. So, you know, in some ways, streaming didn't seem like a good solution, but it was the only solution uh, to at least collect something from people who, in some cases, weren't paying anything because it was impossible to stop piracy. And I would say that if the trends continue, it could be, you know, uh, the future for a decade or more until something new comes along, some new technology and new delivery system comes along. And Robert, what advice would you give to people thinking about going into music? Well, that's that's an excellent question. Um, I I would I always go to. When I'm asked that question, um, I, I don't know enough about the different genres of music, of, of the latest genres, and uh, whether it's a, a rock style, a rap style, one of the new fusion styles. Um, but what I start with is making sure, as an artist, you learn the basics of business, that you simply can't make music you know, post it someplace, whether um, it's Bandcamp or any other site, and figure, well, I, I, my, my, my mother likes my music, so I must be popular. It, it, it requires it, treating it like a business, and if, if you're very, very serious about it. And if you're going to treat your music like a business, you need to learn things like what, what are the basics of bookkeeping? How do you keep a checking account? How do you keep track of your earnings? How do you calculate your production costs and see whether or not your production is, be, is earning enough money to justify it? It's learning a little bit about contract law. It's learning how uh, royalties are paid online. And there are places where you can go to get very, very good summaries of that. I, I meant to look those up, but I, I didn't. But you can Google things like um, um, record industry royalty systems. It's, it requires uh, spending time and doing what seems like the most boring part of the business, which are things like bookkeeping, um, contracts, um, learning about legal relationships, but also learning about how to market. You know, wh where is the best place to get the word out? And being very consistent about that. If an artist is not doing it for a very long time, that is, stays with it, 
um, they're never going to get any place. A lot of artists think I've done a good project. Nobody likes it. Well, you have to keep going. You have to take a very, very long view. And you have to need, you need the tenacity um, to get over the fact that most of the world may not care what you do, but you have to keep going. If you truly believe in yourself as an artist, you have to have the tenacity and discipline to keep applying effort to the business side of it. And the artists that I've worked with for decades, they all have those traits. They know how to keep track of their money. They know how to show up for a job on time. They know how to understand a contract. And they know how to be present themselves in very businesslike ways, uh, particularly if they get a, a job playing someplace, of showing up on time, of being ready to play, of giving service for what the booker or promoter, whoever's hired them, uh, setting aside their ego and delivering a good service. So it's a combination of education, of discipline, of tenacity, and uh, musical inspiration. And the first three are techniques that anyone can learn. The last one is that mysterious quality of are you touched with a special way of making music and you know, does the world want to hear what you have to offer? Oh, definitely. Thank you for sharing that, Robert, especially since you've worked with many different artists and you own your own record label. This is great advice for anybody wanting to, to go into music. Um, but where can someone go to learn more about Canyon Records, and how can someone contact you? Well, uh, you can go to our website, um, canyonrecords.com, and you can always give us a call um, at our uh, here at the our offices in Tempe at 602-266-7835. You know, we'll, we'll always be glad to take a call and, uh, you know, listen to somebody. Um, I, I would like to add about uh, that there is, at least in um, the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, there are good music industry classes at all the community colleges. Very good courses in, in the business side of it, in the technical side of learning things like Pro Tools, which is the the major mixing that every artist should know, is to learn how to work with Pro Tools. So going to the community colleges and looking at their programs is a very efficient and relatively inexpensive way to get some of the techniques that I've emphasized. So. Uh, yeah, check with any of the Maricopa Community Colleges. I believe they all have courses in uh, the music industry. Well, I would like to thank you, Robert, for taking time out to talk to us today to tell us more about Kenyan Records. And I am so happy that you guys are celebrating your 70th anniversary. Well, thank you very, very much. Thank you. 
Want to add a splash of color to your meals this summer? We can help, and it won't cost you anything. That's because WIC is providing $35 for each enrolled woman and child on WIC to buy fresh and frozen fruits and vegetables. Not on WIC? Enroll today to receive this benefit and so much more. To learn more, visit itcaonline.com slash WIC. Thanks for listening to Native Talk Arizona, produced through a partnership between Native Health and Radio Phoenix. Our sound engineer is Javier Quiroca, and the executive producer is Susan Levy. And I am Lanasha Puati, host of Native Talk Arizona. Listen again next week. If you have any questions, please email us at nativetalkaz at radiophoenix.org.